Romans chapter 1, I'd like to read 22 through 25. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creepy things. Wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Now, when you read this passage, the first thing that comes to mind, especially for me in verse 23, is I think of when um, Israel came out from Egypt and Moses went up into the mountain and while he was gone, Aaron and the rest of the people made this golden calf. And they worshiped the golden calf and that didn't go very well with God. So when I see that, it says it changed the uncorruptible God into an image, that would be a golden calf, made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts, that would be the calf and creeping things. So they actually thought that this piece of uh, gold, they went and collected all the earrings and rings and necklaces and they melted it down and made this golden and they somehow in their mind, they thought after they melted that together and formed it and made a calf, that was their God. Like it could actually do something for them. That's how off base they were. I'm not gonna talk about that today. Now, we have our golden calves, and it can show up in a lot of different ways. It may be a bass fishing boat. It, it could be artifacts of a church or a church building or church furniture or anything like that. We, we, we have our golden calves, but that's not what I want to talk about. Let's go to the next verse. I think this verse describes America right now. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own flesh to dishonor their bodies between themselves. This is a case where people became so enamored and, and, and started worshiping sexuality that they put that above God's word, his will, and his design. And when they did that, God is calling that worshiping the creature more than the creator. They're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping their pleasures. They're worshiping their own feelings. And then we go over to verse 25, and it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. So there is such a way where folks can worship themselves and their thoughts and their feelings and put more stock in that than into the living God. Now you think, I'd never do that. And the key, the answer is, we do it all the time. So when I preach this message, it's not for them folks out there. It's for the one you're looking at in the mirror. Those folks out there are here, so I'm not preaching to them. I'm preaching to myself. So I wanna look at the ways where that could possibly be our case, and if it is our case, it could hinder our fellowship with the Lord and our communion with Him. 
and, and, and we want to have a sweet fellowship with the Lord, both as a congregation, but also as individuals and as husband and wife and families. And we gotta make sure that we are not worshiping the creature more than the creator. I'd like to show you a couple verses though, to show you that it can happen without a statue or a carved fixture. But as we go through this, I want you to understand, basically there's two worldviews. The first worldview is the creator is greater than the cre created. The second worldview is when the created is greater than the creator. Now this second one, the created is greater than the creator. That comes in many shapes and sizes and forms. And we're gonna talk about some of them that, that are very prevalent today in our culture. And if we don't watch out, it can bleed into our thoughts and our thinking and our practices. So we wanna be on guard. You know what? I think that's what happened in Genesis chapter four. Okay, in Genesis chapter four, two men, a set of brothers brought an offering to God. And the thing is, one of the offerings was acceptable and one of them was not acceptable. And what's the difference? I don't see any golden calf here. But what happened was Cain, when he made his offering, he was not worshiping the God of heaven. He was actually worshiping himself when he made the offering. Whoa, wait a second. That's getting a little closer to home than that golden calf thing, right? Genesis 4 and verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. He was mad. God, how dare you not accept my sacrifice to you. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, is the attitude or the faith when it was presented up. Abel did it as a thanksgiving, thank you, Lord. Cain did it as, look what I'm doing. And what happens when you worship with a look what I'm doing? You're not worshiping God, you're worshiping the creator, the creature more than the creator. You can find this in Amos chapter five. Notice how many things that on, on the face surface, it looks like, hey, that's good stuff. But God's gonna say, I don't want any of it. Well, what's the difference? The difference is the attitude, the difference is why you're doing it. It's possible to do quote unquote religious things, but for the wrong reason, and if you're doing it to get a pat on the back or to get attention, guess what? You're worshiping the creature more than the creator. It's all for you. Look at what happened here. I hate, I despise your feasts. Now this isn't a teacher's teenager saying, I don't wanna to go to church. This is God speaking to a people. And he says, I don't like your feasts. I will not smell your small, solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard your peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. I love what Brother Richard prayed when we were in the middle of our song service. He said, Lord, you know, I, I pray that this be acceptable to thy ears. Yeah, I, I'm happy when it's nice to my ears, but we don't sing for my ears, we sing for his glory. And if we do it 
to sound cool and sound neat. And okay, here's the men's part. I'm going to bellow this out. Maybe people will notice me. Guess what? I'm worshiping myself and not God. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. Well, I thought it sounded pretty good today. God's saying, nope, it's noise. What makes it noise and what makes it a song? It's your heart. It's your heart. I mean, sometimes, even as out of tune as I am, if I have the right how, that's how, heart, that's pleasing to God, you betcha. For I will not hear the melody of thy vials, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. I want to see you obeying me more. And then one more. If you notice, I went from the Old Testament law, come forward to the prophets, a minor prophet, and I got a New Testament one. Notice these three things in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to hit on these same points. In Matthew 6 and verse 1, he's going to say, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, is alms a good thing? They can't be. Well, what would make alms a bad thing when you're showboating, when you're doing it for the praise of men. When you're doing it for the praise of men, you're not worshiping the creator, you're worshiping the creature, the person that's going to pat you on the back, and you're worshiping yourself so you can get the pat on the back. This is dangerous ground. Also, same chapter, talking about praying. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. I thought praying was a pretty good thing. Well, it can be. But well, when can it not be? When you're showboating, when you're doing it to get on the pat on the back and people are saying, oh, that brother is so holy when he prays. You've just defeated the cause. Okay, and one more. Fasting. Matthew 6 and verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What's common among all these three things about the alms and the praying and the fast? The audience of who these Pharisees were doing it for. Their audience wasn't God, it was the audience was men. And what does God say? He says, I don't want any of it. He says, you're looking for a reward. The reward you're looking for is from men, not from God. And that's the reward you're gonna get. I don't know about you, but I just soon have the reward from God than the world reward from men. And that's what we're going as individuals and also as a congregation. Two worldviews. One is the creator is greater than the creature, and the other one is the creature is greater than the creator. I'm going to go through some of the ways they show up in our society, and there, I know I'm going to show you some big words, but I'm going to try to make it more practical so you can see it in your everyday life. But more than in our everyday life, I want to make sure it doesn't show up here in our church. Okay, this is a church message. This is an us message. Here's the first philosophy. Humanism. Humanism. What's humanism? Basically, it attaches the importance to human idols, ideals, rather than to look on divine guidance. 
any times God gives us instructions and you say, but I think, and your but I think overpowers what God thinks. Anytime you say, but I feel, and your I feel overpowers what God feels. But I want, anytime your want overpowers God's want, you know what you've done? You've just usurped yourself over God. Right? You've started worshiping yourself and not God. Okay? And that's what happened in the garden. Remember what the temptation was? Be ye as God's. I want to set the rules. Who's to tell me? Got a couple examples here. In Philippians 2 and verse 21, I'm going to paraphrase these. Notice what it says. They seek their own, not the things which are Christ's. Y'all, that's humanism. 2 Timothy 3, 4. They are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You know what that is? That's humanism. And then finally, here's the warning in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Do you remember what happened in 1 Samuel? King Saul started off as a really good king. He started off and he was a really humble man. And he honored God and he was little in his own eyes, and he worshiped God, and he had mercy. But the more success he got, the more he started getting full of himself. And there was a time where they had this battle, and they got the spoils of war, and God said, I don't want any of it. Destroy it all. And what King Saul did is he took the best of the cattle and he made a sacrifice unto God. This is what the prophet told King Saul. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than no sacrifice, and to hearken unto God is better than the fat of rams. That's just what we read in these worship service. God would rather have us obeying him then going through all these religious pageantry. Because when you are disobeying the Lord, what you're doing is you're worshiping yourself and not worshiping God. It's just that simple. Well, how could that happen in today, in, in, in the church? Well, Think of all that's going on in our culture right now, how far we are from even when I was a child, just, just, just in a few decades. Okay, more than a few decades. But, but anyway, j- just, just think how it's gone from what we define family as, what we define corporal punishment as, what we define qualifications of preachers. I mean, look what's happened in the last couple decades. And what happens when we just, yeah, but the Bible's old-fashioned. Y'all, God is just up to date as he was back then. And, And we don't go messing with his word no matter how strongly we feel. God would rather have us obey him than our feelings. And anytime we put our feelings above his, his word, 
you know what we've done? We've just usurped him and we've gone to that. So one way we can worship the creature more than the creator is we put a lot of more stock in our feelings and our thoughts than in God's feelings and God's thoughts. Here's the second one, relativism. This is probably the one that's really, really popular right now. You know, relativism, let me give you the official definition. It's when truth and morality exist in relationship to culture, society, historical context. There are no absolutes. You know what relativism? The majority rules. Whatever the majority says, that's the truth. Funny thing is, is I found that the majority is usually wrong in our modern society. But whatever the majority is, that's what we're going with. And if the majority changes in 20 years, the truth is gonna change in 20 years. There's no absolutes. Well, how can that be? Let me read you a couple verses. In Exodus 23 and verse two, thou shall not follow a multitude to do evil or pervert judgment. Wow, Moses warned us a couple thousand years ago that there would be people that would follow peer pressure and go with the crowd. He sure did. He said, don't go with the majority. Go with the word of God. Remember last week we talked about confronting the multitudes? What, who always won? The one that always won was the one whose God was on their side. Didn't matter if it was one against a million, four against a million. Didn't matter what the numbers were. Whoever God was on, that's what it was. Well, that's the way it is with truth too. Who's right? The one that God's on that side of truth. Whatever God said, that's right. That's what we're going with. In um, Mark 15, 15, Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas and delivered Jesus. He said, this guy's innocent, but I am going to release Barabbas and I'm going to crucify Jesus. Why? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. The crowd. Calm the crowd. Read Jesus and I read Paul. To become a better minister, I study them really, really hard. And I want to know what Jesus did and how he did it. Remember those bracelets, what would Jesus do? Well, how would Jesus teach? That's what I did. And I looked at Jesus' ministry, and I just poured all over it. And you know what? Jesus asked a lot of questions. Next time you read the Gospels, just circle every question mark. You'll be amazed at how many questions he asks. Why did he do that? You know, it turns out to be a very effective way of teaching. All the research tells us it's an effective way. The thing was, is Jesus didn't do it because the research said, research said it was an effective way, because he knew it was the truth, and the, took him the research a couple thousand years to figure it out. But that's the way you do it. I see him interacting with people just as much using dialogue as he does monologue. There's a two-way flow. So I want to teach like Jesus. The way you teach like Jesus is you've got to make opportunities for dialogue, period. Whenever we let the crowd sway us, we're on some really, really shaky ground. Let's go to the next one. Pragmatism. Pragmatism, official definition of that is to assess the truth and meanings of terms of results. In other words, the end justifies the means. 
Y'all, the ends don't justify the means. Just because the result turned out the way you want it to, that doesn't mean that's truth. My guess is there's a long-term consequence that you don't even see coming down the road. In Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not all that saith, Lord, Lord, enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my, fa doeth my Father's will. There were some people that prophesied in the name of Jesus. There were some people that were healing in the name of Jesus. There were some people that were actually casting out devils in the, in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I never knew you. How can that be? But good stuff's happening. We don't measure the good stuff as truth or not. We measure good stuff by God's word. If we were to do something and, and we were to change our doctrine to make it more palatable to the masses, or we were to try to change our practices to get bigger crowds and baptize more people, what would Jesus rather have, more baptisms or us following the Word of God? Y'all, I'm stuck following the Word of God. And I hope you understand when I say stuck. I'm immovable. I will not be budged. I can't do it. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have discussions. And when someone comes to me and tells me, well, it's okay to have dialogue at a kitchen table, but once you move it to a lunchroom table, you're out of line. I go, really? Really? Is the action a sin or not? Is the table a sin or not? How can the table be a sin or not? Y'all, we need to be true to this word. And I need to be able to look my children and my grandchildren in the eye and talk to them without hypocrisy and just say, thus saith the word of God. The next one is existentialism. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That's all about individual freedom and choice. Let me give you a couple examples. In Proverbs 16 and verse 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. You know, existentialism is, I think it's right. John 4.24, God is a spirit. They that worship him must but worship him in spirit and truth. And then Mark 12 and verse 33, to love him with all your heart, all understanding, all your soul, all your strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. It is better to obey God's word than it is to have this show and pageantry of religion. Stoicism, achieving the good life. That is stressing the importance of virtue, reason, and self-control and achieving the good life. You know, there's a couple people in scripture that felt that way. One was the rich young ruler. These are both in Luke 18. Actually, would you turn with me there? Let's go to Luke 18. Brother Dolph, why are you doing this? This is a depressing sermon. Oh, I want to hear something about what Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins. But do you realize when we usurp God's word, basically we're spitting on the cross. We are elevating ourselves above the sovereign work of Jesus Christ. And, and I just, I'm so jealous for God and for his word, and I'm so jealous for that perfect offering 
that when we start usurping it with our thoughts and our feelings, we're pushing that aside. I can't do it. In Luke 18, let's look at, um, let's look at the, the, the Pharisee that prayed with himself. Let's look at him. He's, he's one of these guys that just pretty much set himself up. This is Jesus speaking. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Who are they worshiping just in that description in verse 9? Are they worshiping God? It says they trusted in themselves. And in a second, you're going to see the man actually prayed to himself. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Y'all, who's he worshiping? He's worshiping himself. And we just read in Matthew chapter 6, even if you're praying to God, but you're doing it to showboat, like in Matthew 6, you're not praying to God. You're praying to men so they can pat you on the back on how holy you are. It's so easy to get off that slippery slope and go way down in the trouble. God, I thank thee. And this is where we get in trouble. See all the pronouns I after this? That has a pretty good tip off. I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Aren't you holy? But you know what? You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. And you're worshiping the distance between you and your neighbor. That's the elevation you're seeking. Let's go to this next guy. This is the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He's got a little different attitude, but basically he thought he arrived also. Luke 18, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like a pretty fair question. But, but, but notice his answer. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. You know, it sounds like Jesus has got a pretty good idea. He's worshiping the creator more than the created. Yes? I'm not good. You can't put me on that plateau. I know, but he was the son of God. But he's putting it on the eyes of this man where he's at right there. And he says, the creator's it. Creator's who we worship. Thou knowest the commandments. He goes right to God's will. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Honor thy father and mother. And he saith, all these have I kept from my youth up. To me, that's stoicism. The importance of virtue, reason, and self-control. He says, I got it. I've arrived. I'm here. I don't know when he said this, it's almost like I want to back away because I'm waiting for the lightning bolt to come down, right? That's a scary thing. To actually believe you kept every commandment from your youth up. Okay, what's the youth? Let, let's say 13. Do you think I've kept every commandment since? And even if I was, I'd be pretty obedient. I'm still guilty of thinking stuff that I didn't follow through on and did. That's just as bad. And he says, all these have I kept from my youth up. See, I don't want to have confidence in my works. I want to try the best works possible, but that's not where my confidence is. As soon as I switch it off of Jesus Christ's finished work and I move it to my work, I'm worshiping the creature more than the creator. I don't want to have faith in my faith. 
Sounds like double talk, doesn't it? No, there's a lot of people who have faith in their faith. What happens when I have faith in my faith? I've just switched it off from Jesus' finished work and I put it on myself. I don't want to have faith in my faith. I want to have faith in Jesus Christ's faith. I don't want to have faith in my repentance. I don't want to have faith in my almsgiving. Because as soon as I have faith or I put confidence in any of those things, guess what I've just done? I've just elevated myself above Jesus' finished work. It's so easy to get up there. Now we want to try to do our best, but the, the key is, is the reason why we're doing it. It's to say thank you for what he's done, not because we want to elevate. Man, it's just, it's just such a fine line. As, as you know, I had my first fathering class down at the, the Blue Ridge Women's Center, and I, I did that. And one of the pieces of advice I gave these young men, we were talking about how we can support our wives during pregnancy. And I was sharing a lot of the medical symptoms that they would endure during the first trimester, the second trimester, the third trimester. And I also said the fourth trimester, from birth to three months, the body's still going. And I said, this is all the stuff you can expect. And as a good provider and protector, this is what you look at and this is what you perceive and this is how you can support her. And in doing that, you're caring for your baby even though the baby isn't born. That's, that's how you do it from, as a father. And I said, but the key is, let's suppose you're looking at her and you're thinking she's nauseous, right? Or maybe you gotta go bathroom a lot, right? And you're running late somewhere. Have patience when you, we talked about all that nitty gritty stuff. Have patience, don't get mad. Find a clean gas station or wherever and, and, and go in there and don't. But if you do it, you may have pulled over and gone and allowed her to take care of whatever she needs to take care of. But if you do it with the wrong attitude, she can tell the difference. Even though you did the right thing, you did it with the wrong attitude. And you know what? You didn't earn her respect. Well, it's the same thing with God. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and you know what? God knows the difference. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and you know what? People on the outside of the church know the difference. They can see through that facade. God can see through it, and so can people, and your wife certainly can see it. And the last one I have here is Arminianism. Oh, there's one more verse I wanted to read on the other one. This is in Romans 10, verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, went about to establish their own righteousness. This is in Romans 10, 3. He was writing about the Jews. Paul was writing about these Jews, and he says, Oh, these, these guys. I've, I was Jewish. I've been converted. I understand what Jesus Christ did. Here's this group of Jews, and I'm still praying for them. They are working so hard to earn their own salvation. And Paul was saying, I feel so sorry for them. You know what they're trying? They were worshiping themselves. They were worshiping their works. They were trying to make their works above God's Jesus finished work. And once you get to the standpoint where you understand what Jesus finished work actually accomplished, you just throw in that I can't do it anymore. Doesn't mean you stop trying. What you do is you do it to say, thank you, Lord, for what you did. But it's a whole different attitude. And that's the difference between entering the kingdom of heaven and not enjoying that rich fellowship with Jesus. The reason why you're doing those things. That Pharisee and the rich young ruler, they were a long way from the kingdom of heaven.
And then the last one is Arminianism. That's the definition here. God's sovereignty and man's free will are compatible. And in terms of eternal salvation, I say no, no. Anytime you make our salvation a, a condition on believing, accepting, receiving, inviting, repenting, or being baptized, you know what we've just done? You've just made it a work of your own. And you put that work on the same par as Jesus' finished work. It's a link that didn't get you to heaven. There's one more link that's got there, and you have stuck you into the chain. Y'all, I don't want my link. A, strain, a chain is strong as its weakest link. If I'm in there, I'm that weakest link. I want to trust in that full, strong chain that's got links of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I don't want God the dolphin there. And as soon as I insert something of me in there, I've just missed the boat. Let's go back to our introductory text. Romans 1, 22 through 25. Let's read this again. This time when we read it, let's, let's read it with a mirror up to our lives. Let's read it with a mirror up to our church. Let's read it with a mirror up to our heart. Okay, where is this? Because I don't have a golden calf in my front yard. I don't even have one hidden away in the backyard. Yeah, but I got these other things. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I'm thinking of Israel out there in the wilderness. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. We changed the glory of God into a building. We've changed it into a tradition. We've changed it into a practice. We've trained it into my knowledge. Y'all, we all get puffed up in our knowledge, right? It takes grace to understand grace. I can't even take credit for that. Made like the incorruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Our country right now is extremely far from God right now. And, and, and it's, it's, it's hard for me because I, I see what's coming on having been in education, just what's going on for the last 15 years. I just can't imagine the strides that's made. In, I mean, if you asked me 15 years and you told us where it would be now, I would say absolutely no way. To, to, to look at a human being and see an XY chromosome in every single cell in their bodies and say, that's not a man. How? How? How do you deny that science? How do you deny just looking at the bone structure and the muscle density? How do you deny all that? Because someone thinks, or someone believes, or someone feels. I just can't take God's word and have it be usurped by feelings of anyone. 
But you know what? We do it ourselves every time we justify our sin. My mom and dad made me so mad. They did this, so I don't need to honor them. You look at scripture, it says, honor thy father and mother. What we're doing is I've just justified not honoring a father and a mother because of why? Because how I feel or how I think or how I believe. We can't do those things. We've got to follow the word of God in all things. Even those commands we don't understand. And I say it, I don't want to say we don't, dis we disagree, but the reason why we disagree is because we don't understand. And I just cannot do that. So, wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What does Jeremiah say about the heart? It's deceitful above all things. Y'all, that is not your source of truth. who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Anytime we usurp God's word, that's what we're doing. May God bless us to just really search his Bible, search his will to find out how we should go forth and I guarantee you, there's going to be things you're going to read and you're not going to understand. There's going to be things that you're going to read and say, man, I really don't want to do that. Are you sure there isn't a loophole here down two verses where I can get out of doing that? You want me to forgive that rascal 490 times? <sighs> Lord, you're asking too much. He asked it. But Lord, Lord... You don't understand my situation. Yeah, he does understand it. You don't understand his commandment. May the Lord bless us we do this. I want to have a worldview where the creator is greater than the creator in everything. In my thoughts, in my desires, in my inclinations. And I pray that we can get there, not only as individuals, but as husbands and wives as we can get there as families, as we can get there as a local church. And then one day, wouldn't that be cool if our nation could get there? Man, I would love to live in a country like that. Even if it was way up at the North Pole, if there was a country that had, I think, got ready to move. Now, I don't know if I can convince my wife with her getting cold all the time, but I'd be ready to go. I'll buy her a thermal blanket. What a place that would be. What a church that would be. What a marriage that would be. Amen? May the Lord bless you. Thank you.